It was actually quite a surprise uh, and very educational entering this competition. I had no idea there were so many excellent uh, Australian startups out there and that the, the standard that all of these competitors brought to the table really um, one of the drivers for us it really made us look inward and see the way we were putting our deal together. Hello and welcome to the MTB Connect podcast. I'm Shannon Osrin. Australia has a load of exciting and emerging startups in the medtech, biotech and pharma sector that are all working to solve health challenges. Today I'm going to chat to Kim Lyle, Executive Chairman at Electrogenics Laboratories, a New South Wales-based company developing a radiation technology called MoSkin. Also joining me is Patrick Mooney, Executive Chair at Impact Tech Ventures, who is involved in organizing the Australian Technology Competition, an event that MTB Connect have sponsored for the last six years. ATC is in its 11th year and is now open for applications supporting innovative scale-ups to achieve global market potential. Um, So Kim, uh, let's dive in. Um, Tell our listeners about Electrogenics and what, uh, what does the company do? So Electrogenics was formed to commercialize a a breakthrough radiation sensor technology developed by the Center for uh, Nuclear Medicine Physics at the University of Wollongong. So uh, uh, that school spent uh, eight years, uh, something in the order of about $20 million, developing this uh, technology. It's it's fully patented in the US, Europe, and China. And they, uh, they trialed it. Uh, in um, Europe, Italy, Malaysia, Hong Kong, China, and Brazil, and of course, Australia. So on, uh, on up to 2,000 patients. So it's a breakthrough tech. Um, the idea behind this sensor is why, why have a radiation sensor? Uh, in uh, radiation treatments for cancer, you, uh, you could have up to 50% of unwanted organ or tissue damage as a consequence of those treatments. Uh, in up to 17% of cases for radiotherapy treatment for cancer, uh, you can have underdosing uh, inadvertently, which then uh, tends to bring the same tumors reoccurring back into your system. 1% of those uh, being treated uh, can actually be sufficiently damaged to uh, result in, uh, in, in potential death. This has been compounded a little bit because the, the trend today is for what they call flash therapy, but they're actually delivering up to three times the, uh, the dose that's currently in use to really aggressively attack uh, tumors and cancers. Uh, in the case of x-rays and CT scans, uh, there could be as much as 200 times the equivalent of a standard x-ray plate. And bearing in mind that radiation doses are cumulative, if you have to have a series of x-rays, this could be really, really detrimental to, to long-term and short-term health. So the sense of these, the university has developed, uh, specifically measured, it's the only center in the world that does it, the exact radiation dose the patient receives during treatment. Uh, and it also is incredibly accurate. It's actually the new standard of accuracy uh, of what they call the, the water equivalent depth, which is the international standard of measurement. So we're plus or minus 2%. First generation tech in the marketplace currently is uh, up to plus or minus 200% varies to, uh, to that standard. Mm. So it's, uh, it's pretty exciting for tech. Um, Particularly so that um, we're, we think that it's very likely that um, measuring the patient's radiation dose during treatment is likely to become compulsory. It's been lauded as, um, as imminent in Europe, 
and that will flow through to Japan, US and Australia, and we think within the next 12 to 18 months. So we're be extremely well positioned to be offering a, um, a, a breakthrough sensor that measures um, water equivalent depth that the other sensors cannot do. And uh, the best part about it is that around about 20 to 30% of the cost of our next closest competitor. So it's a manufacturing breakthrough as well. Um, we've already signed distributors for Australia and ASEAN, and uh, we'll be shortly uh, moving into the US and Europe to, to establish a foothold in those markets. We're not selling product yet. We're actually optimizing this technology for high volume, low cost production. So we expect to have the first next gen um, commercially available product within the next six to nine months. That's our target. That's that's really exciting. And uh, and Kim, um, why uh, why did you decide to apply to the Australian Technologies Competition? Look, it uh, it was an opportunity to to I guess test our test our uh, our own business plan and our own perspectives uh, compared to marketplace generally and other tech companies. It was actually quite a surprise uh, and very educational entering this competition. I had no idea there were so many excellent uh, Australian startups out there and that the, the standard that all of these competitors brought to the table, really um, one of the drivers for us, it really made us look inward and to see the way we were putting our deal together. Uh, so so we, uh, yeah, we had a lot of benchmarks to measure up to and gauge our own, our own strategy against. So it was a very, very valuable experience from that point of view. So that, that was one of the main drivers to get an education in what the marketplace wants to see and the standards that others are putting forward. So Patrick, when you hear uh, what Kim has just said, it must make you pretty uh, proud to have such exciting startups apply to the competition. Well, it does. Uh, and you can see why Electrogenics was a winner last year and a winner of our overall category too. Um, but it is that interaction between the companies is, is one of the uh, the nice things about it. And particularly as it actually is cross-sectoral. Um, so I think because of that, there's quite a nice dynamic where companies are willing to be open, uh, share their experiences, uh, something that might've come in a different industry um, and, and are not too threatened by having 20 or 30 potential competitors in the room with them, you know? So I think, I think there's a nice dynamic and this is really developing this sort of alumni uh, mutual support side of it, which is, you know, a nice soft aspect of the competition alongside the more sort of structured formal part of it. It initially had a fairly strong clean tech focus and then evolved over time with the support of the federal government to, to bring in other important sectors like medtech and pharma. Uh, we took it over about three and a half years ago. I'd been involved as a judge for four years and a mentor for a couple of years before that. And I think probably there are four main areas that it's developed in. Uh, one is that it's now very, very much focused on the scale up stage of the life cycle um, and uh, a very strong emphasis on partnering with accelerators, incubators and co-working spaces in the ecosystem. So probably the second one is a strong emphasis on capacity and confidence building. So we've developed our growth masterclass, which the average rating for which hasn't been below nine out of 10 uh, since we have been running that. Uh, and we're adding to it this year with some specialized workshops that address growth challenges that individual companies identify themselves. Um, and alongside that, um, the free mentoring that companies get. So there's, there's uh, a focus on both capacity and confidence building, uh, creating an environment where you can test yourself, not be too exposed publicly, 
and absorb what's useful. And the third area, I think, is particularly in the last two years, we've really invested in building that mentor pool. So we now have more than 200 people that have been tech company CEOs or had senior corporate roles and have got great you know, international connections. That's a huge asset that we didn't have, you know, a few years ago. And the fourth, which, you know, if there's any upside to COVID, um, is that we've built a lot more overseas investor and corporate relationships in the last year because it's been virtual. People have been willing to engage. And I think there's now uh, quite a good network in that area. So it really has evolved a lot over time. It's probably better viewed now as almost a, as a growth support program uh, with some high profile awards attached rather than a straight, you know, award competition mm. and it's good that you brought up uh covid mm. um how did that kind of uh affect the competition in 2020 yeah well we we were fully virtual as as were a lot of people uh and uh you know that created some platform challenges like a lot of people we shopped around about you know eight or ten different platforms and we probably still haven't quite got it right but uh we had some great infrastructure support from TCS who uh, you know, gave us technical support and people to help us test different platforms. Um, and I, and uh, so all the events were virtual. Uh, as I mentioned, it actually helped our international reach, uh, I think, quite a bit. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we uh, it, like a lot of people, it caused us to revisit our delivery model and our business model. And we found that there were certain things that seemed to work well, you know, in, in that world, uh, certain aspects of content delivery and certain things that people really missed, you know, um, yeah. particularly the social and, and the personal networking. And so it's given us a much better view, I think, of how to design a hybrid uh, model, which is what we're running with this year, really. Can you take us through how that will look this year? Certainly. Uh, and uh it is adapting as we go. So, as I mentioned, the launch was virtual. Uh, our, um, our host state, Victoria, was 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 keen to start it that way. Uh, our um, masterclass in July uh, will have the content, which is done by panels, interactive panels. That will be virtual. And then, as I mentioned, we'll be bringing people together for two days, so fairly intensive workshopping, presenting, uh, and having an actual uh, formal networking event where we bring in other parties in the ecosystem. So that will be hybrid in that sense. Uh, the national finals, uh, 25th, 26th October, they will be physical in Melbourne. Um, and we've got some great venues lined up. Um, and uh, But what we'll be doing there is we'll also be, we'll have a platform that will allow overseas corporates and interstate people that can't get there to participate as well. So it'll be a different sort of hybrid. Uh, it'll be a physical event or set of physical events with um, with that ability to dial in, uh, project and ask you questions, uh, perhaps not clink a glass, you know, but um, uh, we'll be doing our best to recreate actually that sort of virtual networking side to this. We will have some sort of little VIP breakout rooms uh, as part of that. So, you know, like a lot of people, um, we're evolving uh, and each each event will be a little bit different in terms of how we deliver it, trying to make it as personal and interactive as possible. Did the competition also work to enhance your business model? Did it um, provide uh, global opportunities that you uh, sought after and uh, mentorship as well? Winning the award did put us on, on something of a map uh, and, and we're invited to attend other conferences and so forth. As a consequence of winning this, we were contacted by uh, Siemens to discuss possibly working with us to use our technology with their 
and they're the largest manufacturer in the world of, uh, of Linux machines, CT scans and, um, and uh, X-ray equipment. The, uh, we were approached by one of America's leading um, uh, similar distributors, manufacturers, uh, Standard Imaging. They're actually talking to us now about building a product specifically to their specification. We were approached by Chioda in Japan. They, they heard about our tech, again, after this award, and want to discuss the possibility of distributing our product in Japan exclusively. So from that point of view, yep, there's some great, great context flowed out of this. We, uh, we got on the map in terms of investors as well. Uh, as a direct consequence of winning this, uh, within about four to five weeks, we actually raised a million dollars. So people wanted to invest in the winner <laughs> of the competition, which was nice. So we got that, that was a huge assist. And then of course, we, as I said before, it goes back to us really sitting down then and, and, and reworking our business strategy. All these opportunities changed the dynamic. The extra cash gave us uh, the ability to fast track. So our business plan went through major evolutions as a direct consequence of entering this competition. So uh, Patrick, um, this year, uh, the competition is now open and um, applications close on the 8th of May in 2021. Yep. Uh, what are some of the uh, things that uh, the competition is looking for in terms of uh, innovative startups and scale-ups? Essentially, this is, this is uh, aiming to identify companies that have got serious international potential. Um, so some of the things that the judges will look at, and I've sacked myself as a judge because I'm now involved in organizing it, um, but, but they will look at, um, you know, the problem solution fit. So is, is this actually addressing a problem that is significant and, and wide, you know, a, a lot of potential uh, people needing this solution um, and ideally some sort of pain point. Um, so they'll be looking at that in terms of the scale of the, the problem or opportunity that's being uh, addressed. They, they look at uh, intellectual property. So is this something that is quite unique, uh, ideally protected, uh, has some level of defense potential to grow without you know, perhaps being copied um, readily? Um, and that can be formal IP or it can be soft IP in terms of how the company manages its resources and communicates. Um, they, like any investor will look very closely at the team. Uh, and that doesn't mean that the company, because you know, it's, it's, it's a scale up, has all the, all the boxes filled. But what they want to see is that there is, a good, um, there is a good core team, there is a good dynamic there, and that the team understands where its gaps are and has plans to fill those gaps. So it recognizes where it needs a really good you know, sales and marketing person to cover the US or, you know, it, or a particular technical gap. And, is, and has an attitude of working with other parties to leverage the assets they've got. Uh, so in other words, the team's not protective, uh, the team takes input and feedback. So one of the th things they look at over the course of the six months or so that um, the various stages of the competition is they look at traction and you know have the companies absorb the feedback from mentors and masterclass, et cetera, and are they actually getting traction? Is this becoming a much more persuasive opportunity? You know, so I think those are, those are things. Uh, the, the other factors are, you know, pretty pretty typical. You know, the, the scale of the opportunity, the um, that the path to market is clear, uh, and it is important to express yourself clearly, as as Kim said. You know, that the better you are at expressing yourself, it, whether it's in a, a two or three page pricey, like the first stage of the competition, or a ten page business plan, which is the format that's used in the second stage, or in your pitch, which is the third stage or in the elevator with a customer or an inve uh, investor, 
you need to be able to get that message across pretty clearly about what what's unique about you and so to do that in a friendly environment where you're not blowing your one sort of major investment opportunity i think there's a bit in that you know that chance to polish that in a friendly supportive environment mm. um so yeah i guess they're, they're the key things that they're looking for uh you know is, is that growth potential is it a, is it a team that can be worked with people can work with and feel comfortable they'll grow and take input uh and it's and it's potentially quite unique has the competition expanded um, its categories? Are you? Uh... Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, in the very early days, it it was only two or three categories of clean tech. It then evolved to eight categories. We now have eleven. Um, we added uh, some in the last two years. We added a space category with a lot of encouragement and enthusiastic support from the space agency. That's been great. Uh, they've been looking at it as a way of sort of beating the bushes. Australia's been very good at science. Space science for 60 years. You know, we played a major role in the moon landings, but we really haven't built an industry around that. And so they saw this as a way of beating the bushes in mining and manufacturing and health and other sectors where there's actually space relevant tech that Australia has. The companies have perhaps not thought of themselves as having something that's really applicable to mining on the you know on on the moon or or maintaining the health of of uh, astronauts or experimenting with new food. You know versions etc so that's that's a very good one that's come up we've also added uh, some additional clean tech type ones so we have a, a um, circular economy category now uh, and that's become obviously increasingly important last year we added a disaster and emergency management category which you know for all the wrong reasons uh, is is a growth sector um, and we've seen some great tech come out in those areas um, uh, so that's in it. I won't run through all 11, but you know, there's so there are the six sectors that align with the federal government's uh, growth sectors, and medtech and pharma is a major one there and, and has probably been the strongest sector, really, in terms of consistent flow of quality companies um, through, the, through the life of the competition. It's it really is a good reflection on where the Australian medtech pharma early stage sector is uh, very strong. Um, but yes, the other the, the other five sort of growth sectors plus um, def, uh, emergency space. I forget somebody. Uh, social impact was an important one we added two years ago as well. You know, and that sort of picks up a lot of things that obviously have uh, don't necessarily sit neatly in boxes, but have an important impact on the community. So that was another important one. It's true. Uh, it, it, you know, we have a, a lot of underrecognized talent IP. Uh, understanding of, of use cases, uh, whether they're surgical issues or they're, they're patient issues, um, tremendous. Uh, and what's tended to happen is that's disappeared a little bit inside um, acquisitions or, or, you know, licensing to major internationals and not always been very visible that, in fact, it was invented in Australia and, and scaled here and tested here and, you know, so much was done here to, to build that value. And I hope that we can see some more visible uh, medtech pharma companies emerge. We obviously have some uh, significant ones, but I'd like to see a few more of these get to that stage uh, on, in their own right. With all that in mind, um, Kim, uh, what would you say your main message is for companies who are interested in applying? What would you say was your main benefit from winning the competition and being involved? What I would say to all companies is that it's a tremendous competition and in many respects, everybody that enters it is a winner. 
So you learn so much from it. Uh, you have to do a, such a thorough reassessment of your business that uh, there's just, it's just so many positives that come out of actually participating, whether you actually win or lose. So you're a winner. We're very grateful for, uh, to Kim for that. And uh, all I can say is we get a lot from this as well. I mean, we're, we're just charged by the, um, the quality uh, of what we see, you know, and we're constantly surprised by the quality of companies that come out uh, and participate in this. We're just charged by the energy and the creativity and the resilience of founders. You know, you have to be resilient. You have to be not like a brick wall, but you know, almost like a trampoline. You keep bouncing back with a different angle, you know, and, and it's just fantastic. Um, and we also really like the impact of, and this is one of the sectors that obviously has a major community impact in solving, you know, significant disease issues and personal health issues. So to see the community impact a lot of these uh, companies are doing uh, in health, but also in other sectors uh, like emergencies, you know, companies like Storm Seal of sort of protecting houses in the US and Australia in the last year and others in the bindi maps with the visually impaired and and to see some of the commercial outcomes, you know, companies that have grown significantly, a lot of companies have raised capital and quite a number of listed companies like Calix and Blue Glass. So, you know, for us, it's just great, you know, to, to work with this community and try and build it more as a community. We've got more work to do. We haven't done a good enough job in making them visible yet. And we're going to be working a lot more on that side of it. You know, there's more sizzle in, in a lot of economies than, than, than steak. And we've got lots of steak and we don't sizzle it enough. You know, um, we need to make our tech sector more visible for what it actually delivers. Well, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks, uh, Patrick and Kim, for joining me today on the podcast. It's been really interesting to hear more about the competition. And I can see the many benefits to applying to this competition. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. This has been the MTB Connect podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can find more about the Australian Technology Competition uh, via its website and applications close the 8th of May 2021. And you can also find our podcast on all your usual podcast platforms. So please leave a rating. Until next time.